Okay, guys, we are uh, lesson 20 today. We're going to look at Peter's ministry. Well, kind of real quick, let me just kind of tell you what's happening. Remember, our key verse to understanding the book of Acts was found in Acts 1.8, where he said, you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So we're still in that where he, where they're being witnesses in Judea. But things are quickly changing. We've already had the introduction to the story of a guy named Saul who persecuted the church and now he's come to Christ. And we're going to be, we're going to look at his life a little bit later as we progress further on in Acts. So things are moving along and the Holy Spirit is guiding them and he's even using the difficult experiences that they have for a purpose. And I think that's something for you and I to remember. God uses difficult experiences that we go through for a purpose in our lives. Oftentimes we think, well, what's the purpose? I don't need this. Well, God knows better what we need for our lives, and so we see that happening here. Today we're going to focus back on, we're in chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 32 through 43. We're going to focus back on the apostle Peter. At this point, he's no longer in Jerusalem. He is over in uh, Judea, up near uh, the coastal area. And so we're going to look together at here. We're going to see, first of all, that he's in Lydda, and then he goes to Joppa. So notice with me, let's read this. I'll read to you these verses, verse 32 through 43. Now it came to pass that as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him and imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the, win- all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. Okay, so we're going to look first of all at his stay in Lydda. So we're going to look at verse 32 through 35. So here's what I want you to notice. First of all, 
Peter went through all the parts of the Judean countryside doing ministry. It's no longer safe for him back in, back in, excuse me, it's no longer safe for him back in Jerusalem, is it? With the persecution and so forth. So he's doing ministry out in Judea. And you'll notice, we're, we're noticing little towns that are mentioned. Lydda, Joppa, Sharon. Did you notice that there are disciples in these places? Followers of Jesus, okay? So he's out ministering, and remember the apostles' ministry is to proclaim the word of God, to teach in doctrine, and to do ministry. So he went through all parts of the Judean countryside doing ministry. And he came down to visit the believers who were in Lydda. So he came down. Again, remember I told you, they don't think in terms of north, south, east, or west as we do. They think in terms of typography. And so the central location in their mind is Jerusalem. So when you talk about coming down, it may not make sense in terms of a map, because it actually he's going north or northeast, northwest. What he's doing is, is he's actually going down the mountain. He's going down the terrain. And so they would say he's going down into Lydda. So do you understand that? Okay, so it's not a contradiction. It's how they view things in terms of stuff. It's going down. All right? So he found when he got to Lydda, he found a man who had been bedridden and paralyzed for eight years. When he got to Lydda, he found a man who had been bedridden and paralyzed for eight years. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I think this is pretty significant. Eight years. Time-wise, do you think that, that would, he was paralyzed during the time of Jesus' ministry? If you think about where we're at in the book of Acts, do you think he was paralyzed during Jesus' ministry? I see some not, head, nobody wants to answer. Yeah, yeah, he probably was paralyzed during the time of Jesus' ministry. So I want you to make a, make a, notice a point here. The reason why I'm making a point is sometimes you'll hear people say that Jesus healed everybody in Israel. Well, we know that's not true, right? How do we know that's not true? Because the Bible doesn't say that. If you remember in the very first, in the very first part of the book of Acts, when Peter and John went into the temple, there was a guy who had been brought there every morning to beg alms. And surely Jesus would have walked by that gate where that guy was many times, right? Do you understand? And so he was healed. So Jesus didn't heal everybody. So I want you to understand that. Jesus doesn't heal everybody. So you have a situation, though, where Peter comes to a guy. His name is Aeneas. And he's been bedridden and paralyzed for eight years. So he's basically helpless. He's got to have somebody taking care of him. Okay? Basically help, helpless. Now, I think this is what's amazing. He told Aeneas that Jesus Christ heals him, and he must arise and make his bed. Now, why do you think he's, why do you, I, I, when you read this, it's like, wow, that's an awful lot to tell somebody that you're healing. First of all, he's saying, Jesus Christ heals you. Now, everybody here would say, yeah, I, I think that's, that's what you would say. You're healed. But he also says, and Jesus did the same thing, take up your bed. Make up your bed. Or, you know, why the action point afterwards? Anybody thought about that? Why the action point? 
Okay, so Bruce is saying it's like uh, you don't need that anymore. It's like no going back. It's like a turning point type of thing. Is that what you're saying, Bruce? Okay. Anybody else? Why do you think? Why do you think the action point? Okay. Okay, that's a good point. In fact, you're you're gleaning right to where I want to go with that. That's good, Tim. What were you going to say, Lord? You had okay, a step of obedience, but more than that, step of faith. Do you understand? It's an issue of faith. Okay, so okay, let's let's say Danny here is paralyzed. He's just he's been sitting in his pew for eight years. All right, and I come up to him. You know, Rhonda comes once a week and once a week and feeds him. But uh, so here's Danny, and I say to Danny, Jesus Christ heals you. And that's all I say to him. He can take that or leave it. A lot of times people come up to you, have you been, ever been, God will heal you. You know, we say those kind of things today, and you may take that or not take that, but then, but he goes one step further. He says, get up out of the seat. Straighten up your, straighten up whatever. Get up out of the seat. You've got to, now you're told, okay, it's not just the reality that Jesus is going to heal you. You now have to act upon that fact. And that's going to take what? Bruce said it. Faith. Yes, it is obedience, but obedience comes out of what? Faith. Now, there's a good lesson here for us. About healing? No. About faith. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean here. Oftentimes, when you are reading the scripture, when you are communing with God in your relationship, I I can almost guarantee you that the Spirit of God will communicate to you and tell you things that you need to do. Now, you're going to come to a point of crisis with that. Because sometimes he asks you to do things that just don't make sense. If you're Aeneas and you've been laying in the same bed for eight years, people taking care of you, turning you so you don't get bed sores or whatever, you, and if you're paralyzed, you probably can't feel his body anymore. And here comes this guy, yeah, you heard great things about Peter, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. you get up and make your bed. You've got to See, it's going to take faith and trust in Jesus to do what you're doing. For you and I, when we are told to do something, and if it's very clear in the Bible, and yet the culture's telling you to do something else, the world's telling you to do something else, maybe even other Christians are telling you to do something else, Satan's telling you to do something else, it's going to take faith to step out and do what seems a lot of times to be crazy. Do you understand? Because God does ask you crazy things. Or what the world would describe as crazy. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's going to take faith to act upon that. So I think this is a very good illustration about what faith is. Faith is just not a blind, oh, I believe. Faith is acting upon it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith is acting upon it. Now, so immediately the man was healed. Immediately. The man was healed. He got up and did what he took care of it. He got up. To me, 
stop for a moment. We, you know, we, we read that, oh, he was healed. Think about the healing for a moment. What happens to a guy if he's paralyzed and he's laying in bed for eight years? Yeah, the muscles atrophy. I mean, do, I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Do you think you could just get up and do what? I want to talk about the completeness of the healing here. We're not just talking about him no longer being paralyzed. We're talking about him getting up and being able to do what? Not just stand up. I mean, we could we could picture him. They're like, oh, but getting up and making his bed. Do you know what I'm saying? This is the completeness of how God works. This is the wonder of how God works here. He immediately, the man is healed. All right? Now, notice now the impact. Everyone who lived in Lydda and nearby Sharon saw Peter and turned to the Lord. What you see here is this. This is what God did in the early church is when they proclaimed, God also validated what they proclaimed by what? These miracles. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you think, all of a, I mean, how, how, I mean, everybody who's probably in the area knows that Aeneas was laid up for eight years. Then word gets out, he's walking around, he made his bed? How'd that happen? Some dude named Peter. You know, the guy who's been proclaiming this message of Jesus. Do you think the word's getting out? And then, do you, you understand? And then people show up, they want to hear more. And many turn and believe. Because they see the power of God. Do you understand? They see the power of God. Now, let's go on. Now, word gets out. Obviously, look at this. I think this is interesting. When you get to verse 38, what happened in Lydda spread all the way to Joppa. And you're talking about it in an age where there's no texting, no telephone, no newspaper. Do you understand what I'm saying? No TV. Word spreads quickly that Peter is in Lydda. And probably the story of what? This healing of this guy named Aeneas who was paralyzed. So now we come to this situation where there's a lady named Dorcas, also known as Tabitha. So let's take a look here. We're going to see what happens with Tabitha. Here we see in Joppa there was a follower of Christ named Dorcas, also known as Tabitha. Now, Dorcas sounds really rough to us. I mean, although there are some ladies named Dorcas, okay, but you probably would find somebody named Tabitha more than, than a Dorcas, right? Okay, so here, here she is, but that's, a, that's her name there. And here's what I want you to notice about who she is. This is her character. She is known for her good works and her charitable deeds. She's known for her good works and her charitable deeds. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You think there's a difference there between those two? Or are they just a double descriptive of the same thing? Anybody? When you look at that, look at verse 36. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds. 
which she did. Do you think that's, is that like a double descriptive there of the same thing, or is that two different things? All right, Bruce is saying they could be two different things. But a lot of times in our minds, good works, charitable deeds, it's like one, maybe one's out of the other, right? Well, let me explain to you the, the, the way we see it in the New Testament. Good works actually describe one thing, charitable deeds are another thing. So let me explain what they are. The phrase good works suggests she lived her life, how she lived her life as a believer. The phrase good works in the New Testament dis, dis really discusses how she lives her life as a believer. So when it's talking about your works, it's talking about how you live your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. So what do you think works would encompass then? When you talk about how you live your life as a believer, what do you think works encompass? Okay, your honesty, okay, your character of honesty. Did did you say something, Gene? Okay, well, that would come out of your good works, but how you live your life. Let me, let's, let's talk, it's, we're talking about character here. Honesty, as uh, Bruce said, but there could be other things. could be about maybe her disposition towards other people. Okay, what were you thinking, Lori? Yeah. I'm talking about a state of being. Okay, because remember now, the New Testament is the same one that uses words like walk in the light. Well, walk in the light is more than just talking about you walking in the light of Jesus Christ. It's talking about how you what? Live. Do you understand what I'm saying? How you live. So they use action words to make a greater principle here. So we talk about good works. We're talking about the whole disposition of who you are. Who you are. She was full of good works. Works towards God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Works, if you want to put that down, works towards God. But then you come to where he talks about charitable deeds. Now, charitable deeds suggest a giving person who helped the poor. So it's not just how she lived her life as a Christian. He's talking about how she was full of deeds that really reached out to help others. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a giving person, really helping others. So there's two things there. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, this gets to a good place where we can ask a question. Can you have one without the other? Yes. Can you do charitable deeds and not be a person filled with good works? Does that exist today? Yeah, we got a whole society full of that. Americans actually tend to be, to be honest with you, when you compare with the rest of the world, I'm not tooting Americans' horns, okay, but we tend to be the most charitable. Giving. Did you understand what I'm saying? Whenever there's a natural disaster, who gives the most money to it around the world? Americans do. Did you understand what I'm saying? That, that's our dis- Now, does that mean all Americans are filled with good works? No. No, okay? What we see here is a description of her character. She's filled with good works, talking about how she's living her life as a believer. But one of the other things about her is is that she was filled with charitable deeds. Now, there's a reverse to what I'm saying to you. Is it possible that you would be filled with good works but not necessarily filled 
with charitable deeds. Is it possible? Yeah, why? Some of you look confused. How's that possible? Yeah, or maybe your giftedness isn't in giving. Okay? Because there are different people with different, at different levels. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't mean they're not walking right with the Lord simply because they're not giving of everything for everybody else. Do you understand? So what we see here is a woman of fine character, but the issue isn't just that she's ministering to other people. The issue is, is that she is filled with good works towards the Lord. Do you understand how she lives her life? All right? Now, did I confuse anybody with that? I hope not. Okay, let's go on. Here's an interesting thing. Verse 37. During this time of Peter's ministry, she became sick and died. Now, again, when you read this, this is a good point to make a point about how to read the Scripture. Don't read it with your cultural glasses on. Read it in terms of their culture. What do you mean? How readily is medical service available then? Probably not. They didn't have health insurance. They didn't have laws that said if you got sick, go to the emergency room, they'll take care of you. Then they'll figure out what the bill is. Okay? They didn't have that. This is not the culture. Chances are, and people, to be honest with you, didn't live like they do right now to where they're in their 80s, 90s, and even 100s. Back then, the death rate was pretty young, maybe 50 or 60 or 40. So she became sick and she died, which is a common occurrence. Common occurrence. Now, here's what they said. I think it's interesting because, let me, in fact, let me just go ahead and tell you this before we read this because then you can tell me what's going on here. It is the Jewish custom. When a person dies, does anybody know when they're supposed to bury them? What? I hear people mumbling. Yeah, yeah, they're supposed to, by the end of that day, have them buried. You know, they're they're supposed to have, what if they died in the middle of the night? I'm sure they had exceptions, okay? But they would be buried within 24 hours, within a day. They would be buried. That is the custom. They would wash the body, burial preparation of wash and anoint the body. What do you mean anoint? Oil the body. Then they would place it in a tomb or bury it, whatever they would do. That is the Jewish custom. Jewish custom. Now, here's what I want you to see. When she dies, I want you to notice, now look at the passage, what do they do with her? And is that unusual? Look with me at verse 37. Look at what it says there. What do they do with her? Okay, is that unusual? They've washed the body, put it in an upper room. Is that unusual? You think there's a significance there? Okay, well, they, they were waiting. I think that's what, it's not possible. I think that's what they were doing, Bruce. Be, because if they, if, if, 
they have a faith that Peter can come and what? Bring her back to life. So they lay her in the upper room. That's what scholars feel. Lay her in the upper room rather than because they have a trust and a belief in that God's going to raise her from the dead. Now listen to me. I think this is interesting because I just read through First uh, Kings, Second Kings, First Second Chronicles, and I'm, I'm in Ezra now in my personal time. But when I read through there, you look at the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, and the the there, there's in both of their ministries, there's a lady who was the widow, Zarephath, there was another lady. Their sons die. Rather than burying them, which is the custom, and do you understand why they buried them? Remember now, it's it's they're they're, they're near to the equator. How hot do you think it is? Yeah, I mean they didn't have like we have right now. So, but they, in both instances, they put the child or the son up in the upper room. Why? I think it's it's an example of faith. They're believing and trusting in in the man of God to come and do something. Okay, this is what we see happening here. All right? So, here's what happens. They washed her body, laid it in the upper room of her house. Okay? We already know that. And I think that's significant. They washed her body, laid her in the upper room of the house. It was customary to bury the dead before sundown. We've already mentioned that point. That was basically the custom. In fact, to this day, the Muslims do that. Do you understand? Muslims do that. The Jews in, in, in Israel do that. They, they will bury their dead before sundown. Bury their dead before sundown. Now, placing her in the upper room suggests that they had faith in God's intervention. Placing her in the upper room suggests that they had faith in God's intervention in this situation. Now, here's what they do. They got faith. Here's what they do. The believers send two messengers to Lydda to bring Peter immediately to Joppa. Now, when Peter arrived, he was brought to the upper room. So when he arrived... He was brought to the upper room. Now, I think this is an amazing thing. The widows showed Peter the clothing that Tabitha had made for them. When you you look at this passage, it's not like they showed up and said... When I first read this, even many years ago, I thought, oh, wow, they showed up and said, oh, look at this shirt she made, or look at this... You know, look at this gown or, or whatever. When you realize what's going on here, that's not what they're doing. They're not just showing a bunch of clothes. They're probably showing the clothes they're wearing. Now, how would you come to that conclusion, George? They're widows. Now, in their culture, what part of the food chain are they on? They're the destitute. So what does that tell you about Tabitha? Yes, you're talking about somebody who obviously was a very good person, right? So they're there 
Peter, look at what she did for us. Look, this is who she is, Peter. You've got to do this, Peter. Look who she is. Now, in their cultures, widows were often the destitute of the society. Here's what I want you to see. Peter puts the mourners out of the room and prays. Now, here, let me just stop for a moment. I think this is a significant point. Probably everybody there is a believer, right? Probably. All right? They're Jewish, so they would believe in God anyhow. Now, did you notice what he didn't do? Come on, George, you're you're dragging us along here. Okay, here's what I want you to notice. He didn't have a prayer meeting. He basically told them, everybody get out of the room. And he prayed. Now, there's a great principle here that you need to understand. Because sometimes we think we can get ourselves into a mindset that thinks, I need to make sure I let enough people know and have enough people praying before God can do something. That's not the point, is how many people you have praying. Sometimes it doesn't take a lot of people praying. It just takes you praying. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you don't have to have prayer meetings. Well, you need prayer meetings. That's not my point here. You don't have to be in the mindset, well, I've got to make sure that everybody knows this, otherwise it's not going to get prayed for. It's not a question of how many people are praying. It's a question of are you praying? Because I think about this, because even think about this, this is not the only time. In 1 Kings, with Elijah, he too sends everybody else out of the room and he prays for the miracle. He prays for the boy to be raised. Do you understand? So it's not, so. don't get into mindset. i got to make sure everybody knows so God can do something. God's going to do what he's going to do. You just need to pray. Yes, it's okay to share your request. But don't feel like you got to have everybody, do you understand, on board there. I think this is an interesting thing here. Now, he then tells Tabitha to arise. He prays. Now think about the faith faith of Peter. You're talking about the faith of Peter. Does he believe that God can raise Tabitha from the dead? Yes. So much so that he tells her body, get up. Okay? Get up. That's faith. She opens her eyes and sat up. Scripture says she opened her eyes and sat up. So then Peter helped her up and presented her to the believers and the widows. Now, again, there's going to be an impact here. Verse 42 tells us an impact. The news of the resurrection became known throughout the, throughout the region as many believed. Do you think that got out? Do you think that news got out? Yeah, try keeping it a secret. Seriously, but here's what I want you to see. Not just that the news got out, but people what? Believed. So then, verse 43 kind of sets us up for next week. Peter stayed in Joppa many days with Simon the Tanner. Simon the Tanner. He stayed with Simon the Tanner. Okay, next week, we're going to talk about the preparation for God's Word. God's getting ready to do a work here that's going to be 
the next step in what he told them, that they would be witnesses to the other most parts of the world. But yet, in order for that to take place, God's got to prepare his servant. And so I want you to think for a moment. Think about that. God's got to prepare his servant for the next step. I think that's true for all of us as well. Because sometimes, it's not sometimes, a lot of times God will call us out of our comfort zones to do things that we don't want to do, but that he wants us to do it. But he has to prepare us in different ways to get us out of our comfort zones. And in this instance, what we're going to see here is for Peter to go minister to somebody that he normally would not have anything to do with. But aren't you glad that he did? He did. 